Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, I'm Pete Buttigieg, and this is The Deciding Decade. Restoring the credibility of the United States will be an immediate, urgent task for the next administration and an ongoing effort through the decade ahead. Countries and peoples around the world trust the United States far less than at any other time in modern memory. As a consequence of Donald Trump's administration reversing American leadership on issues like climate change, insulting and abandoning our allies, and attacking our democratic institutions here at home while cozying up to dictators and strongmen around the world. The work ahead will be daunting and exceptionally important, not just for America's future, but the world's. So I thought it was important at a time like this to have one of America's preeminent foreign policy leaders and thinkers on the podcast. And I am so thrilled that Ambassador Susan Rice agreed to join us and have a conversation about the future of our foreign policy. For those who aren't familiar with Ambassador Rice, she is a remarkable person who served as U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations during the first term of the Obama administration, the first black woman ever to hold that position, and was President Obama's national security advisor in his second term. She also has a remarkable story 
one you can and should read in her New York Times bestselling book, Tough Love, My Story of the Things Worth Fighting For. Welcome, Ambassador Rice. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you, Mayor Pete. Thanks for having me. I remember hearing your name a lot in uh, when I was a student at Oxford and you had served in the Clinton administration, among other roles as U.S. Assistant Secretary of State responsible for our relationships and operations in Africa. And I believe you were 32 years old, uh, the youngest person ever to hold uh, an assistant secretary position in the Department of State. I just want to ask you about arriving in that position, the youngest person ever to be appointed, and in particular, knowing that you were doing so as an exceptionally young person and in a predominantly male, predominantly white field. Did you feel an additional pressure to prove yourself or or how did you arrive with the right mentality knowing that you belonged in that role? Well, it's interesting, Pete. I mean, you're taking me back into time. Um, I had spent the first term of the Clinton administration in the White House at the National Security Council. And I'd done my PhD dissertation on Africa and I had a, a knowledge, a substantive policy knowledge. But moving over in the second term of the Clinton administration to run the Africa Bureau and all of its operations in 48 countries in sub-Saharan Africa, um, 100 people based in Washington and 5,000 based out in our embassies around the world in Africa. And then having, you know, pretty large budget, that was a big leap. And as you pointed out, most of the people who I worked with and who worked under me were career foreign service officers who were 20 to 30 years my senior, and most of them white and male. Um, And to add complexity to the whole thing, I was a brand new mother. I just had our first child. Uh, He was three months old and breastfeeding when I started at the State Department. Suffice it to say, I was not the person that many of these uh, ambassadors expected to be their boss. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it was a combination of things. I mean, being an African-American woman uh, was part of it. But my youth, as you point out, was really, I think, the the hardest thing for them to swallow. And my relative inexperience, you know, on the kind of career path that they had been on, when you literally start, you know, as a foreign service officer in your 20s, and it's not until you're in your 50s that you're able to become an ambassador. So it was a challenge. And I was conscious of the skepticism. You know, I made some early mistakes uh, that, you know, could have been deadly, but were driven from a desire to get things done. I knew President Clinton. I knew Secretary of State Madeleine Albright well. I knew what my marching orders were in terms of getting policy progress accomplished. And my instinct was just to drive, drive, drive to get that stuff done. And what I learned was that, you know, in my rush to get as much done as I could, that I was not patient enough, that I was not respectful enough of my colleagues' knowledge and experience, that I was sort of in such a hard-charging mode that I was leaving a lot of them behind. And I write in the book about how I was incredibly fortunate to have a senior colleague who cared enough uh, to help me, take me out to lunch, and and basically take me to the woodshed uh, when I thought we were going for Chinese food. (laughs) And... (laughs) Um, and he told me very honestly, and giving me what I call tough love, the hard messages that you may not want to hear, but that people who care about you are willing to tell you about where I was screwing up and that if I didn't get my act together, I was going to fail. 
And that intervention was crucial. <laughs> you know, it reminds me a lot of some of the dynamics after I took office. And, and uh, when I was at that age, working with a lot of people who had served in local government and, and their attitude was, you know, I've been doing this for uh, 20 years or, or more. I know what I'm doing. I know what matters. And, and my attitude was, hey, the, the, the people of the city have elected me to come in, shake things up, drive these priorities. And of course, at the end of the day, it, it proved to be the case that we were both right in learning how to direct somebody uh, because that's your job and to learn from them because they have so much to teach you at, at the same time was something that, that came with experience, but also with some truth telling from, from people who were willing to pull you aside and say, hey, here's, here's something you don't see. And thank God there were people willing, uh, at least in my case, to, to give me that hard message. Did you have any major screw ups early in your tenure that, that were lessons learned for you or did was it just no everything was perfect never made a mistake the whole (laughs) (laughs) no of course i I had a few screw-ups that really were sobering yeah was there one in particular that not not to dwell on uh on mistakes but that's where we're no sure but that's what you learned from yeah well they were they were uh, several but they were they all converged around the extraordinary pressure we were under this is now 1998 and we had going on in Africa, like a, an extraordinary series of, of crises. We had a war among, you know, six plus countries in the Congo. We had war breakout between Ethiopia and Eritrea, which was the deadliest interstate conflict in the world at the time. We had, you know, famine and, and genocide in, in South Sudan, evacuations of our embassies in Liberia and war in Sierra Leone and Angola. I mean, it was crazy. And then just when, I, when we all thought it couldn't get worse, on August 7th, 1998, Al-Qaeda bombed our embassies in Kenya and Tanzania. And we lost 12 of our American colleagues in Kenya and 200 of our Kenyan employees and Kenyan nationals and thousands wounded. And it was horrific. And like, you know, when it's your own people, your own embassies, you know, it was a trauma for absolutely all of us, everybody on our team. And so we were under an enormous amount of pressure. And the objective was to make sure that we did all we could to prevent additional Al-Qaeda attacks because we had consistent intelligence that they were targeting other embassies. And our embassies in Africa at that point were particularly vulnerable. They were old, they were you know close on the road, stuff like that. And so we were constantly playing whack-a-mole with threat information. And one day in December, I think it was December, late, maybe late November, early December, um, we got this really frightening intelligence that seemed very credible that the next day there were going to be attacks on an unspecified number of embassies. And so I made the decision on the spot in light of that uh, intelligence to shut down our embassies. It was going to be a Friday going into the weekend, shut them all down across the continent. Nobody would go into the buildings, and then we'd reassess over the weekend. And it was the right decision. The problem was I forgot to tell my bosses. I forgot to tell Undersecretary of State Tom Pickering, who is responsible for all the regional operations. I forgot to tell the Secretary of State. I was moving so fast that I didn't do my homework. And so the next morning, I wake up and to a phone call from Undersecretary Pickering, who never, ever lost his temper, screaming at me, 
why am I reading in the press that we shut down all of the embassies in Africa? <laughs> Didn't you think it would have been wiser to let somebody up here know? Uh-oh. And I just was like, oh my God, I'm sorry. That's totally my bad. Um, and I was just moving too fast. And, you know, when the pressure is so intense, yeah. I mean, at least I, I made the right decision. But, you right. know, you move so fast that you, you get sloppy. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.
You know, our relationship with institutions, I think, is one of the biggest things that, that's on the minds of those who are worried about the, the, the future role of the U.S. in the world. The president has withdrawn the U.S. from the World Health Organization. We are at odds with the, the, the U.N. more, I think, than ever. And I'm wondering... To what extent you believe it will be possible for the next administration, we hope a Biden administration, to not only reset our relationships with these institutions, but do, do we have the credibility to help these institutions grow, knowing that you know, a lot of them haven't changed much since right after World War II? Well, I think a, a Biden administration can re-engage in many of these international organizations and do a great deal to improve our standing and credibility and efficacy within them. When we withdraw from the World Health Organization, or when President Trump contemplates withdrawing from NATO, as he reportedly has, or when we you know, try to stick it to the United Nations rather than make it work for us, you know, that's not punishing the institutions. That's harming our own national interests and our ability to protect and defend ourselves and advance our values. And every time we pull out, we're leaving a vacuum that gets filled by somebody else. And that somebody else nowadays is almost always China. So it could not be more counterproductive. Now, who's benefited most from our withdrawal from the World Health Organization? China. And we've harmed ourselves because the World Health Organization is doing in the, the most difficult, least developed parts of the world, the hard work to stamp out diseases, whether Ebola or polio or HIV or COVID, that we can't do all by ourselves. Or if we tried to do it, it'd be extremely costly and, and, and inefficient. So yes, we can and we must get back in these entities and get back you know, with strength and, and, and efficacy. And there's this misperception in some circles that, you know, we're being jerked around, for example, by the United Nations. The fact of the matter is we designed the United Nations back after World War II and as imperfect as it is, it works for us. We have a veto. Nothing happens of consequence in the United Nations that we don't agree to by definition. You know, there's no point in using that veto in an abusive or punitive way. But it does mean that whether, you know, it, it, we're standing up for Israel's security and legitimacy or, you know, protecting our fundamental concerns, that nothing happens of consequence that we don't agree to. That's a pretty good deal. That's <laughs> like you can bat a thousand under that <laughs> kind of setup. And so when we talk about reforming and updating the institutions, you know, yes, a number of them do need updating and reform. And there are those who will argue legitimately, you know, how can you have a UN Security Council with five permanent members? Two of them are European and, and India doesn't factor in as large as it is. Or, you know, the Japanese will say they deserve a permanent seat or the Brazilians. And then Africa will say, well, we're a continent of a billion people. We need a permanent seat. And all of those are legitimate concerns in principle. But then what do you do? Then the issue becomes really complicated. Do they all get a veto? Well, then that dilutes our ability to steer it in a direction that's beneficial to our interests. So, you know, these things are really complicated. They require, in the first instance, leadership from the United States that the world believes is acting not just in our own narrow self-interest, but in our interests that is defined as that which is 
potentially and hopefully beneficial to others as well. So you can't have a zero-sum mindset. If it's good for us, it's got to be bad for everybody else. Or if it's bad for everybody else, it's good for us. That, that, that is the Trump zero-sum mindset that makes it impossible to cooperate and bring others along with us. That touches something I've been thinking about a lot, which is the, the question of trust. And the level of trust that the U.S. can command among nations in the world. In fact, while I was researching a book I have on the subject, I hit on this story of uh, a moment during the Cuban Missile Crisis where President Kennedy knows he needs or wants to get French support for uh, whatever he might have to do during the Cuban Missile Crisis, calls Dean Acheson, the former Secretary of State, out of retirement, sends him to Paris to go see Charles de Gaulle and uh, tell him what's going on, armed with highly classified photos as proof that the Soviets are putting missiles in Cuba. Gets there, and the president, uh, the French president, greets him. He's grumpy. Uh, but when uh, he offers to show him the photos, the French president reportedly just kind of brushed him off and said, your president's word is enough. And you think Can about you the power that today, <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, for the president, this president's word to be enough for anybody around here, let alone overseas, is just impossible to picture. But that must have been something of just unquantifiable value for American objectives and American diplomacy, and ultimately for American security. And the more I investigated the the, the sources of trust, I found that one of them is predictability. Sometimes when people are trying to invent some kind of rationale for how this president behaves. They talk about his unpredictability as if it was strategic. That you know, sometimes it's been called the madman theory. If other countries think he's crazy, we'll be more likely to get our way. And yet, even if that is strategic, which uh, I don't think most of us believe, it is. Trust me. But but it would be a strategy that's incredibly destructive of the ability to have any trust. So, what are ways to accelerate that process of building trust uh, on the world stage, or maybe even here at home, before it's too late, knowing that trust? Building takes time, but time is of the essence. I mean, so much of our problem is not just that the president is unpredictable. I mean, he's unpredictable, but the predictable thing about him, once people crack the code, is he's serving his own interest rather than the national interest. And a lot of countries have figured it out, which is why they flatter him and, you know, stay at his hotels and do all these things that have nothing to do with what values or interests we might share. It's all about making him feel bigger and better and, and advancing his own personal, political, and financial interests. So, you know, with Joe Biden, not only does he come with this very substantial and known and trusted track record, but people understand that he is serving U.S. interests and values. And that when he says something, he's telling the truth, that he's not out in it for himself. Uh, having long been, for example, the poorest member of the Senate. And uh, he's not in it for anything other than what one would expect the United States president to be in it for, which is to serve the national interest. So I think, fortunately, in this moment, with all that we have to repair and rebuild, we, we benefit from the prospect of starting with somebody who, who comes with an extensive record that people can already trust. If 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You know, you, you mentioned uh, COVID. I know in, in addition to your foreign policy leadership, I know the, the mayor of D.C. has turned to you uh, to help it advise on uh, how the district is, is managing the pandemic. And as somebody who comes from the, the, the local level of government, I, I was struck by something that uh, uh, you wrote about. Uh, this is back in 2017 when I think all of us were trying to figure out how to uh, face the rest of the world 
in the Trump era. You wrote, congressional delegations, governors, and mayors can reassure our key allies that the American people still value them. and We do not intend to cede our global leadership. So even then, you were thinking about uh, the kind of global role of local leaders. And uh, and now I know you're, you're helping at least one local leader deal with a, a global issue in, in its local implications with the pandemic. I wonder, in your experience, what you've come to conclude about how the different levels of government in our system interact and what that might mean to help us meet the moment in the years ahead, especially knowing that uh, in the absence of federal leadership these last few years, it's really fallen to mayors and governors to step up. Now, hopefully with the president who supports them, there might be a whole new era in terms of what local and state leaders can achieve. How do you see all that fitting together? And and, and has that changed any since you've become uh, maybe more immersed in, in local problem solving through your work helping the district navigate the pandemic? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, up until recently, all of my policymaking experience was at the federal level and at, you know, senior levels of the federal government. Um, and even though I've been a most of my life a resident of the District of Columbia and, you know, cared deeply about this city, I'd, I'd never had an inside perspective on, you know, on municipal governance. And I really do think that in this vacuum that Trump has created, that I pointed to back is in 2017, as you noted, and he's it's only gotten greater. You know, he's essentially left us naked internationally and naked in terms of domestic leadership on critical challenges. And nothing points that out more starkly than his failure to uh, to lead on COVID and all of the many lives that have been lost as a consequence. And what it does point out is that for the average citizen on a daily basis. You know, it would be great if the president of the United States were doing his job and, for example, procuring uh, vast quantities of PPE and ventilators and distributing them rationally so that states weren't having to compete against each other and bidding up the price. And it would be great if we had a national testing strategy that made sure that we had the, the quantity and quality of tests and distributed them rationally. We don't have any of that. But at the end of the day, what Americans have come to understand is it really matters who your mayor is, who your governor is. Um, and, you know, we've seen great successes and great failures at the state and local level. For me personally, but I think for many Americans, it, it, you come to appreciate even more how critical leadership, high quality leadership is at the state and local level. You know this. I mean, I'm obviously I'm preaching to the choir, but uh, you know, and think of what I had in mind, for example, when I wrote that piece back in 2017 was something like climate leadership. You know, the, the administration, the president pulled out of Paris, he's flipping the bird to, you know, to climate change and to the rest of the world who everybody else on the planet cares deeply about this issue. At that point, it was clear that, you know, governors uh, and mayors and consortium like the ones that, that Bloomberg put together and the private sector and civil society and individuals like Greta can make an enormous difference on an issue of global significance, even when the president of the United States is AWOL. So we want to be in a situation, particularly in a crisis like COVID and increasingly like climate, where we're all firing on, on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. But in the absence of that, there's more that can be accomplished at the state and local level than I think many of us uh, realized previously. One other thing I, I really wanted to ask you about, um, because you, you have experienced 
foreign policy at so many levels professionally and foreign policy leadership. And it strikes me that the, the ranks of those who serve our country, uh, especially as career diplomats, um, but really across all the federal service, if you think about the Department of Justice, and so many parts of, uh, of the U.S. government have taken a real beating and a lot of people have left. And those who were there, many of them are demoralized. So I wonder what, what your hopes are for what the next generation of diplomatic service might look like and things that, that you think the next administration should think about in building uh, that that team of public servants all the way from the most junior career person through to presidential appointees in order to make sure it really is the kind of team that could guide our country through this decade? Well, I think it's a great question. And it's one I've thought a fair bit about. I, I will say, Pete, we didn't need to have the Trump era destruction of the administrative state to accomplish the kind of progress that that I hope we can can make going forward. We have... The, I can't overstate the losses uh, in terms of experience and talent, for example, in the State Department and the Foreign Service and the Civil Service. But it's not just the State Department, it's the intelligence community, it's the civilians in the Defense Department and in the Justice Department and in so many other critical areas. One of our greatest strengths as the United States of America is we are the most diverse country on the face of the earth. So many studies have shown when you bring diverse voices around a decision-making table, you make better decisions. That is proven whether you're in the private sector, in a corporate boardroom, or in government or the nonprofit world. We have the opportunity to bring this incredible complexity of the mosaic that is our country to the decision-making table, but we also have this extraordinary advantage when we speak to peoples and countries around the world to show them that there's people in this country that come from where they come from and understand their issues and concerns and language and all of the above. It's a great asset if we use it, but we don't use it. Right now in the State Department, this is, I mean, this is as bad as I can imagine in my lifetime, but of some 180 odd ambassadors that we have around the world, three, three, Pete, are African-American right now. Three out of 180. And, you know, like one is Latino, or mm. I believe. Mm. I mean, it's just crazy. And, and we can do so much better. So, you know, really emphasizing in our intake, in our retention, in our promotion opportunities for all uh, the people who represent this country, who have the interest and the talent to serve. But then the other thing, and you alluded to this, is that the career path in the State Department is really antiquated. When I described, you know, early in our mm -hmm. conversation, my time early in the State Department, all these people who are the ambassadors and senior officials when I was at the assistant secretary for African affairs who were 20 to 30 years my senior, they had literally been working in the same job on the same track, just moving up for 25, 30 years. Who do you know your age and younger who does any job for 25 or 30 years anymore? Much less right. five years, right? Yeah, we're so, not likely to be in the same career for 25 I mean, you did years, mayor alone the same job. So that's really unusual. <laughs> but I, you know, even I, I don't think I've done one yeah. job more than five or six years, right? Mm. So nobody does that. And if you want to have the best talent and refresh it and encourage people who may not want to commit a career to serving, but could add a whole bunch of value for five years, and who come with skills and experience, like technical skills and digital skills and language skills and you know business skills that can be valuable in government. And yet the, the constraints of the career path 
make it really hard to tap that talent. You can't just, you know, easily come in and come out and be treated decently. We're going to have to bring back people who've retired or were driven out and let them start at the, the level they left at without penalty. We've got to have more fluidity and interchangeability between the foreign service and the civil service. We've got great talent in the civil service that isn't elevated to the extent that it should be. And all of these things are difficult because Congress will have a say and the unions will have a say. And, you know, all of these entities that have a stake that are legitimate share, you know, stakeholders. But it is really the case, in my opinion, that we've got to look at this afresh and be willing to uh, to change the business model in order to attract and retain the quality talent and the diverse talent that we need. I, I think that you're right. That's a huge opportunity. And I agree. It, it shouldn't have taken things being smashed to bits the way they have been by this administration. But since they have been, it, it makes it all the more urgent and maybe all the more possible to make these kinds of changes. I wonder if you picture a historian in the 2040s, uh, looking back at the 2020s and what they wound up meaning to America, America's place in the world, um, what would you most hope that observer would be able to say about the 2020s as we sit here now at, at the outset of that decade? I hope that a historian could look back and say this was the decade where America looked in the mirror and decided that it can and should be much better that we can be more unified, that we can be a leader in the world that serves our interests and values, if not more perfectly than, you know, more consistently um, and with the right intentions, that it's a much fairer and more just society for the least among us, uh, that we've narrowed the gaps of inequality and racial and regional disparity. And, you know, that if you're a poor white kid born in Appalachia or a Latino boy born in the barrio in Los Angeles or an African-American girl born in Detroit or a Native American girl born on a reservation in, in South Dakota, that this is still a country where you can and, and, and have the, the, the real potential to achieve a brighter, more secure, more hopeful and prosperous future and pass that on again to your kids. We've got to revive and, and reinvigorate the American dream and make it really available to everybody. Well, that was a great conversation with Ambassador Rice. I really enjoyed hearing her remarkable stories about what it was like to play a central role in so many of America's toughest and most important decisions. Her work helping to secure this country with countless lives at stake every day. She's got such an admirable life story and a fitting outlook on what we can do over the next decade to repair the credibility of the United States and restore the trust our government once inspired before Donald Trump around the world. There is so much that needs to be done to improve our country and reinvigorate the American dream, as she said, and we're all better off when we pay attention to the insights and the aspirations of thoughtful leaders like Susan Rice. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. If you haven't heard, it's a good idea to fit probiotics into your daily routine. Fortunately, Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls make that so easy. These adorable little pearls couldn't be easier to take, and they support both digestive and vaginal health, all because of the probiotics. There are actually 1 billion active cultures protecting against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort, all in one tiny little pearl. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 